When you're not sure where you're going, you want to make sure you're following someone who does know where they're going. How many of you found yourselves in a position recently where you weren't sure where you were going? And did you follow the right person? (laughs) I've had occasions where I'm in a, a different city, an unfamiliar city. We're there for a conference. I'm there with some friends. And we're walking to the convention center or wherever it may be. And we're just walking along. We're going in a certain route. We turn right here. We turn left here. And then I look at my friend and he looks at me and I'm like, are you following me? Because I, I thought I was following you. That doesn't work out so well, does it? You found yourself in that situation, I'm sure. Well, who have you been following this past week? What have you been following this past week? As you've had decisions to make, as if you, maybe you've had ethical decisions to make, moral decisions, decisions related to faith or life, who have you been following? Because you, there are people who want to be your leaders. There are things that want to lead you. In our primary season coming up, we already have 23 Democrats who have registered to, to buy to become your president. They, everybody wants to be your leader. There are things all around you, people all around you who want to lead you, and we need to make sure we are following the right person. Ultimately, though, what we need is not a leader as in a, a charismatic personality, someone who will give us success and physical joy, physical success, what we need is a shepherd. One who knows us. One who can lead us in paths of righteousness. One who not only knows us in the depths of our own sin, but loves us deeply and cares for us. And Jesus is the good shepherd. This is the good news from God's word you need to hear this morning. In the midst of all of these Men and women and things that want to lead you, Jesus is your good shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd. And as we walk through our passage this morning, we'll see what makes him so. Why is he the shepherd that we need? Why is he, how is he the good shepherd? And we'll consider three ways in which he shows himself to be the good shepherd. The first is his identity as the true shepherd. We see this in verses 1 through 6. He is the true shepherd as opposed to all of the false shepherds, as opposed to thieves and robbers. Now this chapter follows on the tales of chapter 9, where we just saw this parable lived out in action of a blind man coming to see physically But even more importantly, it's a parable for how he comes to see who Jesus is spiritually. As Jesus reveals himself to this man and declares to him, I am the son of man, he is able to see. He rejects the words and the teachings of the Pharisees who are constantly trying to get him to doubt Jesus. They say to him, tell the truth about Jesus being a sinner. Just come clean with it. We know he's a sinner. And yet, throughout, he rejects the Pharisees and he follows Jesus as the true shepherd. So here in verse 1 and following, Jesus is already rebuking the Pharisees. That's who I suspect he's speaking to still. 
as it follows from chapter 9. He's speaking to the Pharisees, and he says in this parable, you all, are, you're just thieves and robbers. You're going in a different way to get to the sheep. Look at what it says. I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all out all his own, he goes before them. He's leading them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. We see these contrasts. There's a contrast between the thieves and the robbers, which are the Pharisees, and Jesus, who is the shepherd, who goes into the sheep by the door. But there's also this, this contrast between how the sheep respond to these different teachers. They don't follow a stranger. They follow the one who they know to be their shepherd. There's a deep Old Testament background to all of this these parables, these these images as Jesus as the good shepherd. And one of the most vivid examples is in Ezekiel chapter 34. Turn back to Ezekiel chapter 34 in your Bibles and look at that with me. Ezekiel 34 beginning in verse 11. Ezekiel 34 verse 11 and following. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I... I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and all the uninhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, I will bring back the strayed, I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I feed them in justice. And then skip down and look at verse 22. I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey, and I will judge between sheep and sheep, and I will set up over them one shepherd my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. With this background, Jesus is declaring himself to be God as shepherd over his people. These Pharisees, they're the false shepherds. They're the ones who are devouring the sheep. They're persecuting the sheep that they should be caring for. And yet, God declares, I myself will shepherd them. I myself will rescue my sheep. Jesus' identity is the good shepherd, the Lord God Almighty. And he calls his own by their name. He is gathering his flock. Jesus, as he came in this world, God in human flesh, he began gathering his flock. The way it works, he calls them by name. George, come to me. 
and George hears and follows his master. In my family, I have a special whistle. I think I've told you about this before. If I did it with my fingers, it would blast your eardrums out probably. But it goes, and that is a signal to my kids as they're running around like crazy people in the neighborhood. Time to come home, time to come home. And do you know what they do when I do that whistle? They don't always come home. <laughs> I wish they did. They often come home, not always. But if I do that whistle with my dog who starts straying a little bit, Violet, her ears perk up. She knows I'm calling her. And often, most of the time, almost all the time, she will take off running to come to me. She hears the whistle of her master and she comes running. And as Jesus whistles his gospel call, inwardly by the Spirit of God, God's people hear him and they follow Jesus Christ as the Good Shepherd. This also points back to chapter 9 because this is exactly what the blind man did. The blind man heard the voice of Jesus and he inevitably followed his master. One application we'd be tempted to make from this is that we should be careful to listen to the voice of our master. And that is absolutely true, but I don't think that's the main application we get from this. Rather, I think this is speaking more of the inward call of the gospel to those who belong to Jesus Christ. In other words, God has a people that have been set apart from the beginning, and then through the outward call of the gospel, the Holy Spirit reaches in and calls you and grabs you and, and pulls you to Jesus Christ. Now, by nature, this is, this is what uh, the Reformed commentator John Calvin says, by nature, we are born lions and tigers and wolves and bears. I almost thought he was going to say lions and tigers and bears. Until the Spirit of Christ tames us and from wild and savage beasts forms us to be mild sheep. Thus, according to the secret election of God, we are already sheep in his heart before we are born, but we begin to be sheep in ourselves by the calling by which he gathers us into his fold. Jesus Christ is gathering his people together as he calls them through the outward means of the gospel. Don't miss that part of it. The inward calling of Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit as he's changing hearts doesn't preempt the outward call of the gospel. In other words, me telling you about Jesus Christ who was crucified for sinners and risen from the dead. As that message is proclaimed, the Holy Spirit of God is coming and bringing his people, is gathering his flock from all the ends of the earth. He ordinarily works through the outward call of the gospel to call his people inwardly to himself. So, I think the, the main application here is Jesus is this true shepherd who is gathering his sheep. And it is inevitable when he calls, his sheep will come to him. And that has implications for us as well in our evangelism, in our speaking the gospel. If this is the way Jesus is gathering his sheep, how ought we to respond in light of that? 
Shouldn't we be eager to share this message? If God is gathering his sheep, don't we want him to gather them as well? And if we know this happens through proclaiming Jesus Christ, what are we doing with our mouths? What are we doing with our words? Are we speaking grace to people? Are we speaking Christ to people? Are we drawing them and leading them to Jesus Christ so that those who are his may be gathered together in the fold of God? We see his identity as the true shepherd. He truly is the good shepherd, the Lord God Almighty who is gathering his sheep But in verses 7 to 10, we also see his provision as the gate. His provision as the gate. Now, don't let this throw you off because he changes metaphors here. Most of the commentators I read, and I I agree with him, that we shouldn't be too strict in trying to consider this as, as one parable where every line is connected to the interpretation in the same way. So first he's the shepherd then he's the gate, then we'll see he's the good shepherd in just a moment. But here, notice Jesus' provision as the gate of the sheep. Verses 7 through 10, Jesus said to them, Truly, I said to you, I'm the door of the sheep. They didn't understand what he was talking about. I view it as he's, he's kind of trying a different angle then. Okay, you try this on for size. And all along, he's teaching his people. He's teaching those who are overhearing. He's teaching us as we read this and consider this today. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus is the gate. He is the gate through which one must enter in order to to find two things is, is what he says. One, that they may be saved. The truth of the matter is without Christ, we are lost. We are doomed. We are doomed to be sheep who are scattered and devoured by wolves. We must enter through Jesus the gate for salvation, that we would be saved from our own just deserts for our sins. You have sinned, friends. You have rebelled against your Maker. You have rebelled against the One who created you, rejected Him and followed your own course. And yet if you will be saved, you must enter through Jesus the gate. He also says finding pasture. He speaks of life and life abundantly. That which is truly life. We search all kinds of areas, all kinds of places for a certain salvation and fulfillment in life, for abundant life. And yet we won't find it anywhere in this earth, only in Christ who is the gate. Notice that contrast. He changes from thieves and robbers robbers to the thief, singular. And there he is speaking of Satan. He's speaking of all the, the forces of evil, but it terminates in this one enemy of God who has spread his lies throughout. The thief who comes to steal the sheep. He comes to kill the sheep. He comes to destroy you. So brothers and sisters, even if you're not a Christian, but also brothers and sisters, remember the reality, this reality, that Satan is real. We we live in a world of secularism where we think, and materialism, where we all think, all we think 
that exists are these physical objects, these things, that there's nothing going around us spiritually. And yet, Jesus reminds us here, we need to be reminded regularly, Satan is real. People are going to look at you weird if you say this in public. But Satan is real. And he wants to kill you. Not just physically, spiritually for all eternity. He wants to destroy you. If you're an unbeliever, the same thing. He wants to kill you forever. Forget about just this physical life. He wants you to suffer for eternity. Suffering that which is truly death. We need to remember that there is a real battle going on for our lives and for our souls. Because often we don't act like it. We just live the good life. We just coast through. We just are seeking our own enjoyment. And we forget that there is a battle raging around us. Instead, we ought to have, in a sense, we ought to have a wartime mentality. What does it mean to live in this world? Knowing that there is a battle going on for my soul, for my neighbor's soul, for my children's soul, for people all around us, that there is this battle going on. And as we wage that war, we must remember it it is only through Jesus Christ that one is saved. He is the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. If there's going to be a victory in this world, it will only be through Jesus Christ, the gate to everlasting life and life abundantly. Pursue Him. Draw others to pursue Christ, to go through the gate. And it is through faith. That's what we mean by saying going through the gate. It's by faith in Jesus Christ and His work for us. It's not our work. It's not our accomplishments. It's not our righteousness. It is going through Jesus Christ to the Father in life eternal. He is our life. He is our salvation. He is life abundantly. And we must go through Him if we are to have those things. Notice the third way Jesus demonstrates and teaches that He is the shepherd of the sheep. His care as the good shepherd in verses 11 through 21. His care as the good shepherd. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. This goes back to another illustration, a prophecy in Zechariah where God calls down woes upon the faithless shepherds. Those who run away because they're simply the hired hands. Well, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd and these are my sheep. I care for them intimately. I know my own and my own know me. They are his own. You belong to him. He knows you from the inside out. And because of his revelation to you, you know him intimately. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. Lindsay spoke about that for a moment, but that is profound. I mean, that is 
unbelievable to think about. As the Father and Son know each other intimately in this relationship, so we, in some mysterious way, we who are in Christ Jesus, know Jesus Christ in the same way. Imagine we'll be exploring that knowledge and that relationship for all eternity. He goes on though, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them. There he is again, gathering his sheep together that they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Goes back to that same language in Ezekiel. There will be one shepherd over my flock. The son of David, the Messiah, God in human flesh. The other fold, of course, are other people, but in particular, there are people outside of the Jewish ethnic people, the covenant people of God from the Old Testament. He has others who are a part of his flock, Gentiles. That's you and me, I would presume. So that all of God's people, Jew and Gentile, any who find themselves trusting in Jesus Christ will be gathered together into one flock under this one shepherd. But he is like, unlike any other shepherd. He is the good shepherd, marked, one, as we said, by his intimate knowledge of the sheep. Which makes the second mark even more unbelievable. He is marked by his willingness to sacrifice himself for the sheep. You, you think, we spend a lot of our time trying to not be known by other people. We, we, we often don't want to be known intimately because we, we fear that if someone really knows us, really knows all our foibles, all our sins, all our mistakes, all the dirtiness inside, all our thoughts, if they know us, then they will reject us. They will push us away and they won't want, want anything to do with us. There's this, there's this tension. We want to be known and we want to know others and yet we, we have this resistance to being vulnerable with one another because we're so afraid. We know what will happen. And yet Jesus knows you intimately and he willingly sacrifices himself for you, brothers and sisters. He willingly gave up his life because he knows everything about you, because he knows you need a savior. He knows your desperate wickedness and he loves you and he gave his life for you. That word for throughout the book of John is not just pointing to an example like this is what we should do but as a sacrifice. Jesus died for us as a substitute. He gives his life as the good shepherd for the sheep in place of as a sacrifice for the sheep. I shared this story recently and it it fits so perfectly with this message and the theme of shepherd. When I was, I believe it was the 10th grade, we had our high school, Sunday school beach trip. Went to the coast of North Carolina. And we had a good time until what we all fear happens at the beach actually happened. It was a couple of my friends were washed out in a riptide. And we saw their heads and the shoulders, but then eventually they, we couldn't see them at all. Unfortunately, all of them, three boys, were rescued. 
um, my friends Seth and Brad and Brian were all rescued by a fishing boat that came by. I just happened to come by and find them. And it seemed like they were out there for hours. It wasn't hours, but they were out there a long time and they were rescued. But there was another man who wasn't as fortunate who did die that day. His name was Jeff Maynard. And he was called our shepherd as the Sunday school class. We had a Sunday school teacher, but we also had shepherds. Jeff and his wife, Sharon, were our shepherds. And they would check in on us week by week, caring for us, trying to build a relationship with us. And when we were on the beach, it seemed like nobody was helping. It was taking too long. And Jeff, in good shape himself, a long-distance runner, knew he had to do something. He lived out his call as a shepherd, and he ran and he dove into the waters to try to rescue those boys. And he, we found out later that he did die. He knew something had to be done, and he knew he, he took seriously his responsibility as a shepherd for these, these little ones, these sheep. And the reason he did that was actually because of Jesus Christ himself, who was his good shepherd. That really wasn't just an example for him, but it enabled him to do what he did that day. You might see a license plate driving through Rollsville sometimes, and it says, I am third. And that was his license plate. I think it's his wife now who lives in Rollsville. And he lived his life by this message, I am third, God first. Others before me, but as for me, I am third. He demonstrated that not only that day, but throughout his life. He sought to serve others. Well, that is a shocking enough story for a man, is it not? And yet what about this, brothers and sisters, that the good shepherd, the God-man, the almighty creator would come down and become a man and give his life for the sheep. It was, it was no accident for Jesus that he died. It was a willing sacrifice. He, he told this to his disciples and to others so that when he died, he would know, they're not taking my life from me. No, I am laying my life down for the sheep. I have the authority to lay it down. And I have the authority to pick it back up again. No one takes it from me. He lays it down willingly for his sheep, though he knows you intimately, he lays down his life for the sheep and it is effective. Anything you could ever try to do to save yourself or to get rid of your sin would be completely insufficient and ineffective. And yet when Jesus Christ died as a sacrifice for sinners, it was completely effective. As you look back over your sins, brothers and sisters, over the last 10 years of your life, over the last five years, over the last year, over the last five days, you can be absolutely sure that the sacrifice of Jesus Christ was effective and all of your sin is forgiven. Is that good news? Give me an amen. 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 You are saved by grace alone through faith in this one, this good shepherd who laid his life down but then picked it up again. He is alive and interceding with, for us at the Father's side. 
Well, there was a division among the Jews in verses 19 to 21 yet again. Is he from God or is he a sinner? Who, who can do works like this if they're a sinner? Surely he must be from God. Well, friends and brothers and sisters, we, we should decide again, as it were. We should consider again. Who is Jesus? Who are you following? Are you following the good shepherd? 